I'm here at the uh, IHI Forum in Orlando, Florida uh, with Dr. Della Lin. Dr. Della Lin is an anesthesiologist uh, practicing in Hawaii, is also um, a leader of statewide collaboratives in Hawaii, and a faculty member at Estes Park. Welcome, Dr. Lin. Thank you. Uh, good to be here. You were going to tell us a little bit about your leadership journey, and I believe you started your journey as a musician. <laughs> I, I did. I was supposed to be a concert pianist. That was my intended future, I think, at one point. And uh, um, I remember having a music lesson with my uh, teacher, Hungarian lady, um, very task-oriented. And she had me, for one lesson, play not a single note, which was very startling to me. I thought, oh, surely we're going to get to the music part of this lesson very soon. But she had me spend time just walking onto what was pretend that you're on stage, walking out, addressing the audience, the invisible audience, um, and uh, sitting down. And then she said, okay, pretend you've already played now, now get up. And getting up, uh, standing, addressing the audience, bowing, and walking. And she, what she was trying to teach me, I think, was one, first impressions are incredibly important. Second, the way you connect to the audience for me to be able to make sure that I took the time to look out to the audience, bow to them, acknowledge their presence, and that this was actually a journey we were going to go through together. The performance was going to be something that we were going to experience together, that I was um, gifted with their presence. And yeah. so um, that that was a that yeah. was an interesting um, story for for me to or to have experience. Yeah, today we talk about patient centric medicine, but it also what I was thinking is that's like audience centric performance. <laughs> I mean, really thinking about it's not just about me playing the piano; it's about the audience as part of this experience, and I need to also be focused on the, how I'm projecting to them. Right, right, right. I mean, the other things that that she taught me one was um, that. Well, or maybe I learned in my music journey that performances never go the way you think they're going to go. Um, you make mistakes, um, sometimes unintentionally, <laughs> mostly unintentionally, but even so, you've got to go on, and um, execution doesn't always go the way you've uh, practiced it multiple, multiple hundreds of times, and so that certainly has served me well, knowing that um, things don't always go as planned. And I think the third uh, lesson that I learned in music was, was timing. I had, um, I was fortunate in that I was not yet 16 when I graduated from high school and I was going, I was admitted to Curtis Institute. So I would have been 16 years old going to Philadelphia from a smallish town. I, I uh, lived in Champaign-Urbana, Illinois, which at that time had less than 100,000 people in its population. And um, my parents just basically said, no, there's no way our daughter is going to go to Philadelphia. I mean, everything big city seemed like a very scary and dangerous place for a young teenage girl. So um, they said, no, you're gonna stay in, um, in um, Champaign-Urbana for a couple of years and uh, go to the university and then, then you can go on. And in that two years, um, there was enough that had happened with my sort of colleagues that were competing and we were sort of in this competing circuit in, in piano that I realized that I basically had given given it a pass, that I um, was not going to uh, go into music. Interestingly, at the same time, or about a year before that, I had an aunt who told me, you know, 
Um, music is very uncertain. It's completely left to your critics. You know, next morning after a performance, they could just completely say this was a horrible performance and then you're totally at the whim of these critics. And science is very exact. If only. <laughs> now, I had no idea at that time that her information was deeply flawed and in fact science and medicine is far from exact. <laughs> but. Um, but I think at that time, at that impressionable age, I thought, well, you know, maybe, maybe going into science is got a little more security um, than going into into the music field. So, um, so timing, performance, and and I think intention, um, that intention with your audience um, were important things that I learned. Hmm. Um, Dr. Lee, you talked a little about. Uh, the kind of people that you, you drew close to you when you're trying to make key decisions. And there can be a downside to picking like-minded colleagues. <laughs> yeah, so one of my um, examples is that when I was a department chief of anesthesia, um, uh, we had about 80 people in the department at the time, so it was a pretty large anesthesia department. For those listening might not realize that the department would be quite that large. But um, you know, you go, you become a department chief, you're supposed to do things like make sure you're joint commission compliant, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, so I thought, okay, I can't do this alone. I need a core group. Um, whether you call it cabinet members or core team or executive council or whatever. So I picked three people that I had known, worked with somewhat, um, thought to be very thoughtful people um, uh, that we could execute on what I felt as a leader, this was your charge. Your charge was to move forward and do these things. And um, the, the wrong decision, the decision that I made that was in error, was that all these three people were exactly like me, mm -hmm. um, which made it really easy for us to get along. It made it very easy for us to get that policy done or get the initiative to the next level. But um, it made us very, one, very, very um, wedded to our ideas because we had set up this extra process of thinking it out and spending the time and getting really invested in it. And second, um, nobody else was invested. So the people who were not like-minded had no idea where we were coming from or couldn't understand why would, why would they take the time. So I became very fond of this notion of the wisdom of the crowds and the importance of diversity of opinion, the importance of uh, taking the time and saying, am I asking the right question? Do I have the right voice at the table? Um, should I change the focus? Or should the focus at least take a different perspective? Um, do we need to take some time? Uh, I think actually timing is a tough thing. I mentioned timing before, but I think the idea of timing and leaders, for me, I continually struggle with it. When do I need to push? When do I need to lead with urgency? When do I need to take a step back and let the group kind of take the time to get to that point where they feel the urgency themselves? Um, I don't know, if, if other people have ideas or want to help me with that journey, that I, I think though that, that's, that's constantly, I certainly don't get it right all the time, but I think about that, that the timing is, is, uh, is important. Um, anyway, going through learning about the diversity of, of, uh, of the wisdom of the crowds, it became clear to me that culture had a lot to do with decision making and leadership, and that leaders have uh, an important job of creating the culture um, for an organization. Um, so I became a big student of, of culture. And in that, 
I had the fortune of uh, having tea with Edgar Schein, which was just a huge gift to me. Um, Dr. Lynn, do you want to say a word about who, Dr. who Edgar Schein is for people who might not be familiar with his work? Well, I think he's basically the guru of organizational culture. Um, uh, for listeners out there, uh, anything you can get your hands on, um, humble inquiry, um, helping, um, those are sort of smaller books, um, but he's got sort of larger texts as well. Um, Cor he's, he's Corporate a, Culture and Leadership is in its fourth edition. And I yeah. think that's his, his yeah. big and it's not, it's not dated. I mean, people might say, oh, well, that's dated. But I mean, it's just um, still very timely, <laughs> speaking of timing. And so what he taught me was, um, you know, culture is really about relationships. When you boil it down, yes, it may be a big textbook, and he's got lots of great examples. But when it comes down to it, if it's one word or one sentence, it's all about relationships. Now, I had come to understand that culture was really a lot about problem solving. Because we often hear the, the phrase, culture is the way we do things around here. Well, the only way we get to the way we do things around here is that a problem occurs. A group of people come together to try to solve the problem. They solve it successfully. And so that team, the next time they're confronted with a problem, says, oh, well, gosh, this way worked before. Let's use this process again. And so when an organization does that over and over and over again, that becomes the way we do things around here, quote unquote. And so that becomes the culture. So if culture is about problem solving and culture is now what I understand is really about relationships, then problem solving is all about relationships. So the one-on-one -on -one relationship or the group's relationship, um, understanding what's important for each person on the team. When I was a department chief, I tried to make sure that I knew something about every single person in my department. Um, the ones I remember still to this day, even though it's been decades ago, is one individual who loved to paddle every morning for 30 minutes before coming into the OR. Um, that was incredibly important to him. And so um, I certainly would never ask him to have a meeting before uh, the OR because that would be crazy. I would have taken the mm -hmm. one thing that yeah. was so important to him and he would lose that. Somebody else loved to, loved to fish. Um, uh, you know, whatever it happened to be, somebody else was a, a marathon runner and somebody else was um, coaching soccer. Um, and so for that person, I mean, it couldn't have a meeting at three o'clock or four o'clock because he would be, I mean, coaching was important, but also I could also take his coaching skills that he was learning from his soccer, his kids' soccer team, and try to bring that to our understanding of strategic planning and, and initiatives. So un understanding what's important to people. And what I've done with that in more recent times is I have the um, fortune to bring all the chief medical officers within the state of Hawaii together. And so there's about 15 to 20 of us. And, um, uh, and we, uh, prior to this, the group never really met on any kind of formal basis. And they come from different systems. Um, they all are sort of, you know, um, um, well-established leaders, but um, you would might say that sometimes we have competitive interests in mind. So this idea of this group was really to think about the patient journey and to really think about what can we do in the state of Hawaii to ensure that no patient is harmed. How can we ensure that we don't unwittingly in our competitiveness um, destroy our commons? 
Um, how do we make sure we support each other in the important areas that we need to support? How do we think about some of these upstream things like food security or um, whatever homelessness and how do we think about that as a as a group of individuals and one of the things that I've done to really think about this idea of relationships is that we start every meeting with one of us telling our personal narrative and that personal narrative is sort of a, a tool from that I learned from Marshall Gans um, and it talks about talking about the, um, the story of yourself the story of us as a group how that connects, and then the story of now, which is why is that so urgent for us to approach a problem now. But the fact that we get to know each other at a level totally different than the usual introduction. The usual introduction is, I'm an anesthesiologist and this is where I trained and um, this is my job now. Um, it was really at a deeper level of why, did you, why do you value what you value? And um, where did you have an important decision point where you, that value became critical in your decision making? Um, and to know that about each other puts our room at a very different tone and the ability, I think, for us to really possibly do anything um, much more real. I, I, I mean, for me, the reason I'm still in leadership at this point is um, I like to shoot for the moon. I mean, I don't think anything is impossible. And as long as I go to bed and say, I just discovered something new today, and I'm in a constant mode of learning and discovery, um, I don't think I'm going to retire. <laughs> um, uh, I think this uh, leadership work is too much fun to to give it up, but I, I, I think what I've come to know, the important lesson from Edgar Schein is that the relationship fundamentally is the important piece. Um, I think the other thing for me that was important in that lesson is when I came to this job as a female leader, there was a concern of mine and maybe it doesn't exist now, but at least it was a concern of mine back then, of not appearing to be squishy. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, mm -hmm. if, uh, you don't want to, oh, well, that's, you know, if you're going to be squishy and talking about relationships. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So I think I tended to be mm -hmm. a little more task-oriented and check boxes and, and, you know, um, deliverables as opposed to really understanding the importance of the personal relationship. Um, I think I have enough years behind me now that I understand um, that that is so important and um, I think I regret that maybe I, I took that kind of harsher right. thought uh, right. initially. Right, right, <laughs> right. Um, thank you for sharing. Those are really impressive lessons and really important and I think the readers are going to get a lot out of that. Oh, thank you so. very and, much. And if anybody has any advice for me, please speak up. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks again. Yeah.